Welcome to the Communities Podcast. We hope this message will encourage, challenge, and ultimately grow you in your walk with Jesus. Subscribe for weekly messages and share this message with your community. Let's dig in. I'm so excited to deal with this. When I was praying for the last couple of months, this has been on my heart that God wants us to talk about calling and purpose. And so I'm going to do something that it's very difficult for me to do. I'm going to go into a series. I'm going to try and follow some notes. I really suck at following notes. Uh, I really am bad at that because as people come on, what happens to me sometimes is uh, uh, I begin to minister and then I, I sense someone, I sense someone's spirit, and then I begin to minister to that person because I know when people are hearing and I say something and I focus on a name or I see a name appear or I see a face, I begin to minister into that situation and then I get off the notes <laughs> and then I get off the message. And so it's, it's difficult for me to stick on notes. So when we disciple, disciple people, we give them the opportunity to preach and I teach them, I give them a template and I say, guys, follow this template. That's how you're supposed to do it until you get to a place where you're confident. But how I usually minister is God will drop a word in my spirit, like love as an example. And then uh, he'll give me a scripture reference. I'll take one scripture reference and pull it back into Jesus, pull it back into love because from Genesis to Revelation, it's about the nature and the character of who God is. And so, so to me, it's difficult to stick with notes. It's difficult for me to, to teach. And, and a lot of times I assume that you know what I know. So I, I don't really, uh, I, I really, I really start talking quickly and I start moving into a place because I don't want to keep it so basic or keep it real down. But we're going to real start with some foundational stuff. And then when we move over to foundational stuff, God willing that we will finish this series. And my prayer for this is that when you walk out of this series, you will know what you are called for, that you will that will begin to start generating in your spirit and that you will get up and that you would begin to, to operate on what God has called you for, what he has purposed for you, what he has designed for you. And it is so interesting to me when I talk to people of all ages, of all spectrum, I walk a road with sometimes with some people that are in their late 60s, I walk a road with some people in their late teens and uh, early 20s and uh, you ask this question uh, what are you called for and uh, I, I've never seen people with grandkids look at me like I just hit them with something and they're like what nobody's ever asked me that and so uh, it's very important that you understand your role in the body of Christ and so <clears throat> we're going to you can turn to Ephesians chapter number four and we're going to start there I'm so excited to be with you this morning this is so nice and and there is nothing like an attack from the enemy that really uh, just stamps the fact that you are called to do something. And every single time we have these community sessions on a Sunday morning and I get to share a word with you, uh, there's always the devil that comes to mess with me in one way or another. And I, and, I, and I must be honest, I think it's my personality and I am seeing someone about it, but I like it. And uh, I like it when the enemy comes against me because he authenticates my calling. He authenticates what I'm made for. When you have struggling in your life, there is nothing like struggle that really puts it down for you to know that you are called for something. So Ephesians chapter number four, we're going we're gonna to jump around between some scripture, but I want to just deal with some foundational stuff. If you, I, whenever I talk to somebody, I ask, like to ask them, what church do you go to when we talk about Christianity and when we talk about whether you're saved or not? And the reason for that question is because a lot of times how you grew up is how you think. And I just want to explain a principle to you uh, for those who are in the IT world will understand what I'm talking about. When you're dealing with things called frameworks, so a framework is if you're looking at a user interface, a UI, 
user interface is basically everybody looking at me now through a screen and you have a UI that you're busy looking at. You have a user interface that you're looking at. And that user interface is coded on a framework and uh, operating system that whether you're using Apple, Android, whether you're using Windows uh, or Apple, because, you know, Apple is just, they can do everything. Um, whether you're using that, <laughs> whether you're using that, uh, you, you're, it's, op, it's designed, it's coded on what they refer to as a framework. And the framework really limits what the operating system can do. So when there is new technology and when they want to upgrade systems, they have to upgrade the framework. All right. So a lot of times the way that you think and how you grew up is your framework. And God only works within the framework that you give him in your life. It's a very frustrating thing that God doesn't just come in and disrupt our lives and just take over and be like, I'm going to disrupt everything that you think about. And I'm just going to come in here like a bulldozer, like a bull in a china shop, and I'm going to run over you. He basically works within the framework that you give him, meaning that if your doctrine, if your interpretation of the scripture is limited because of your understanding, you limit the movement of the revelation that you would receive, which limits the faith that you will have. Sure. So, and, and I'm going to get into that a little bit. And, and because we're going to talk about in this series, we're going to talk about faith and the, and how to increase your faith, how to get more faith. And, and then we'll see the knock on effect there. So in Pentecostal theology, which most of us are, it's part of this community. So you have the just the, the history of the church is real quick. You had Catholicism, uh, Catholic, the word Catholic means first. They believed the way first. And then the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church split very early in its, in its uh, journey. And so we refer to it as Eastern Orthodoxy or Greek Orthodoxy. And then you have Catholicism. And that really becomes the root of what we call Christianity today. And then obviously, if you went and studied theology or you're aware of your history, your church history, you'll find that Martin Luther came around. And then we had the Great Reformation. And then the Protestant movement, which means protester, started. So he, Martin Luther, Protestant, means to be a protester. And then since then, we've had church breaks and, uh, <laughs> and denominations every year being registered and uh, there's actually a stat that i read a few years ago that there is over 60,000 denominations in christianity that is registered that has been since the existence of christianity so the existence of the birth of the church and the birth of the church really started with what they referred to as the early day church fathers and then you had the nicene creed um and then you got you know the rest of the church you know history going forward and so most of us, which are Pentecostals, which is a, a, a denomination or a sect within Protestants, Protestant, Protestant movement, they, they believe certain things because that foundation was built on opinions or interpretations by other theologians. A very popular one, for example, is John Calvin. Another one would be Jacob Armenia. <clears throat> um, and then you would find where they get their understanding from you, you go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you go further, further back. For example, John Calvin, which is if you're Baptist or you're Methodist or you're Dutch Reformed, or uh, I think even Anglicans, a lot of what they believe is rooted in what we refer to as Calvinism. Um, not so much the Anglicans, but any of those other uh, denominations that I just made mention of. And John Calvin's opinion and what he believed was really rooted in St. Augustine. St. Augustine was one of the very popular popes who, who was part of a, a reformation, if you will, of the Catholic Church himself. So and a lot of what the Catholics believe today was also founded on what St. Augustine believed, which is very interesting. So 
uh, it's just so very interesting that when you go down these things that you find that somebody's opinion or belief was based on someone's opinion, belief or someone's interpretation, someone's interpretation. And this is what makes our experience as Christians so unique that you have to, your interpretation needs to be checked with the Holy Spirit. And you must understand that the way that God works is that he gives a revelation to the church on this period of time. So it is good for you to look back to what was already there. It's good for us to know those things, but it's better for you to know what is God doing now? What is, what is the revelation? What is God illuminating us to us now? So check with the Holy Spirit in terms of what you believe. And so I want to address this route because in Pentecostal theology, they believe in two different callings. So if you don't know by now, we're dealing with calling and purpose. They believe in two different callings. They believe in the general call that everybody's called to, to salvation. Uh, and then they believe in the calling of the fivefold offices, what they refer to as the fivefold offices, which is found in Ephesians chapter number four, verse 11. The issue that I have with that <clears throat> is that it limits people in understanding that once you're called into to, to the body, once you're called into Christ, there now becomes a sort of limit on you because only a select few are called into the fivefold. And then how we think as people, we have hierarchies and we, we, we struggled with that because we think if you're an apostle, you're all of a sudden the greatest in the church. If you're a prophet, you know, if, if I'm just a pastor and Ilana is a prophet, then Ilana trumps whatever I'm going to say. <clears throat> and so you have this kind of thing that begins to happen. And then what we do is in many Christians that I have spoken to that are old uh, in their late 60s and in their 70s and their 80s, they never understood that when they were called, they were called. In other words, the, I mean, I had a 67-year-old man that used to be a worship leader for Nikki Fonavestes and Senior that had this massive revivals across the country. When I said to him, you have a calling, he looked at me and he was like, what? I'm like, how do you, you know, like you, you're called for a specific task. You're called for something specific. And he just never kind of accepted it because he didn't have his burning bush experience. And a lot of us don't move because we're waiting on God to have a burning bush experience with us. And we're because we're think, thinking that if God wants us to do something, we're going to be like next Moses. And and then, you know, we're waiting for that supernatural kind of event to take place. And I'll never forget a man said this to me, a pastor said this to me in a particular ministry um, when I was delving into their leadership. And he said to me, Nicholas, you don't know if the time is that you are a Joshua and the, the senior person, I'm just using this as an example, as a Moses, but this is basically what he was saying to me without giving too much context to what a, to getting too much into the story, is he was saying, you don't know when it's your time, Joshua. You don't know when, it's, when, when Moses is about to leave and you're about to take over. And I sat back and I looked at that and I thought, that's very interesting. Because your thinking is that we have not yet entered into the promised land, which means take the book of Hebrews and chuck it away. Your thinking is that God has still yet to deliver us and we're still waiting for a Messiah to come and we're still waiting for the blood of the land to be shed. Your, your thinking is that there is still something to, there, we have to redo what has already been done. We have to fulfill what's already been fulfilled. And so trying to use that example, and this is the problem with the Bible, so to speak, and I say that with, with great respect, is that you can make this book say anything that you want it to say.
If you're stuck in a particular thinking, you will you'll get stuck in that thinking and you will use any kind of scripture to twist and to turn to whatever it is that you want to believe. If you don't want to listen to reason and if you don't want to, to be subjected to anybody, if you don't want to sit with somebody and say, hey, come and teach me, Holy Spirit, come and teach me. I want to be adaptable. I want to be teachable. You know, change my view. Convince me, because that's the, what the word conviction means. The word conviction means to be convinced about a particular thing. And uh, a lot of times when I listen to very strong world people and I get to disciple, and it's such a privilege to disciple, it's such a privilege to sit and share the word with whether it's one person, and I sometimes prefer it to be one person than it is to be a church filled with people, is that, the, the, is that when you're walking a road with somebody and the person is so stubborn, it's got so much potential, and you ask him the question, who do you listen to? And he says, well, <clears throat> you know, me and the Holy Spirit, and we're one. And you have that stubbornness to think that your thoughts are God's thoughts. Look at you. And so <clears throat> I just want us to be open to address certain things and certain things that are rooted in our foundation and to relearn certain things and to be open to, to receive whatever God is saying to you. Because if you're going to limit God to saying there's only two callings, I'm called to salvation and then my job stops until God has a burning bush experience with me. And then only when God has spoken to me through a bush, then I'm going to do something. Uh, and you'll never achieve or do anything for God. And it will be such a waste that it comes to the end of your life and you're 67 years old and you're walking with a guy like me on next to the road and who's challenging you about every decision that you've made in your life. That must be said. Don't let life go past you and you miss the opportunity to walk into what God has called you for. The reason, one of the main reasons why I don't believe in just the two callings and the reason why I'm kind of against the two specific callings is because if you just believe that I'm just called to be saved, you're never going to do anything for God. You're never going to reach your potential and you're going to miss what God has actually called you for. Now, not everybody is called to stand in front of a pulpit and to stand in front, in front of people. But that doesn't mean that not everybody is called to be an apostle, to be a prophet, to be an evangelist, to be a pastor, and to be a teacher. And I believe that you can, you can be either of those things. I don't believe that God specifically, when Nicholas was born, that he said, I'm going to put the stars in place. I'm going to make the time right. I'm going to get the right mommy and I'm going to get the right daddy and I'm going to put them together because I need another apostle. I need another great man of God to walk on the earth. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because there are two spiritual principles that exist that contradict that because you can really step into anything that you desire. God will bless you if you say today by just being willing, which is one of the spiritual principles to say, God, I'm willing to do anything for you. That's what God can do. You can take somebody that is willing to do anything and shape him and bend him to what he needs to be to get him to do what he wants him to do. So being willing is one of those spiritual principles that exists in us and in, 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 in the spiritual world that really unlocks calling, really begins to unlock things. And you must understand that a calling is a function. It is not necessarily to say that I am my calling because we also seem to do that where we have this identity issue where we associate what I, I'm a prophet, so therefore that's what I am. <clears throat> no, I am a son of God. My function is prophet. And when, when I need to prophesy, 
I will do that function, but then there will come a time where there will be no need for prophecy because we will be with God. Then what are you going to be then? So you must understand that you are not your function and that calling is a function. It is when you're able to identify what the kingdom requires and say, I'm ready to fill that gap. I'm ready to step into that position and to do that thing. And then you can really begin to walk into a calling. And a lot of times we, we sit there and we go, God, give me a calling, give me a calling, give me a calling. And we don't begin to understand that the calling is not yours because I did not call myself. The calling is his. He is the one who tells me what to do. And if you want to operate from a calling instead of your identity being the son of God, then you're going to miss what God is doing. Because then you miss trying to, trying to cover reputation. You're going to get into all sorts of trouble. So the other spiritual principle that exists is to serve. This is a big one. Matthew 10, verse 42, 42. <clears throat> I'm just referring it for those who are making notes. Um, Matthew 10 says, if you give a glass of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. He who serves a righteous man in the name of the righteous man receives a righteous reward, a righteous man's reward, meaning that serving really positions yourself to receive an impartation that you require to fulfill a particular function. If you do not have a particular impartation, you cannot fulfill a particular function. Unless you position yourself to be under a prophetic anointing, you will never be able to prophesy. And you need to begin, to, you need to understand that, that serving and being willing unlocks a calling, unlocks the ability to give to, to push you into an area where you can fulfill a function. But now there is no point in calling you if you're not going to come. I'm going to stop right there. I could end up, I could end this, the preach right there and sit down. Because a lot of you are waiting for God to, to move heaven and earth to call you, and you're not willing to make up your bed in the morning. A lot of you are willing to, to, that God will move heaven and earth, and you're not willing to, to go across the street and talk to somebody. You know what God said to me? He said to me to go, to, I hate giving prophetic words to family. If you're related to me, I hate I hate it because there's this relationship that we have and it's family and people see you as brother or cousin or, or nephew. I hate ministering to family. It really sucks for me. It's the worst thing for me. But you have to get over that if you want to step into that prophetic mantle where God will say to you, get up and go give a prophetic word to your mother. Give up, get up and go give a prophetic word to your father. And you're sitting there and go like, I don't, how do I speak to my father? <laughs> you know, you walk in front of him, you say, hey, shantarada. you cover him between him and the TV and he's busy watching his program and you're standing there and you're going, thus say the spirit of the Lord. <laughs> and it really does become awkward. So it's about how you, it's also about being willing. If you're willing and you're able to serve, it unlocks the doors for you to step into anything that God has for you. There is no such, the only calling that really God has for you that is sort of set up is for you to be a son of God, is for you to be a daughter of God. And he really formulates your identity there. And then when he formulates your identity there, then he begins to move you. And so I just wanted us to read Ephesians chapter number four before I get too ahead of myself. I'm going to pick it up from verse Let's pick it up from verse 11. We're, through the series, we're going to come back to this text. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I just want to stop there, and I'm going to go through this very, very, you know, quite slowly. You have to understand what one of those functions are. In the Greek Orthodox Church, they believe, Eastern Orthodoxy, they believe it is only apostles and prophets that can uh, address doctrinal issues, and they base their teaching on Ephesians chapter number two. The issue when you try, start formulating a doctrine around one scripture is that you would miss it because you cannot formulate a doctrine around one scripture. You need a couple of scriptures to formulate a doctrine and you need it not to, to be from one writer. And you need, when you're interpreting scripture, you must understand number one, who wrote the scripture. You must understand who it was written for, and you must understand the context of which it was written. Otherwise you will formulate a doctrine that would cause harm later down the road. So I just want to point that out to you. And I believe if you have to ask this question, why go to church? Because I, I was stumped with this. I'm a church going boy from the time that I can remember. My mother was raised from the dead when she was 18 years old. So you can imagine when you're dealing with somebody like that, it doesn't matter what happens. You're in church. You can be in church Sunday. If the church doors are open, you are in the church. I don't care what church it is. I've been in all kinds of churches as long as you're in the church. And so you can imagine what it's like to be with somebody who has a radical faith and how they live uh, and, and what they believe. And I've asked this question by somebody, my boss who I work for, I work for an organization and in that organization, my boss, she's a bit of a, I don't know what she is. I don't know if she's an atheist. And I asked her, what do you believe? She said something about, I don't believe in a, you know, great uh, hair man with a beard. And I was like, cool. I don't believe in Santa either, but um she, she just doesn't say, I believe in Jesus. So she's got this new age kind of thing going, but her father is a reverend priest. It was a reverend priest in the Anglican church. And so what's interesting is when she said to me, something happened in the news and she said to me that um, a, a church is there, Nicholas, to help the poor people. And I sat back as if somebody just hit me in the face with something. And I was like, I've never asked the question as a church going person, why go to church? What's the purpose of a church? Never ask that question. What is the purpose of a church? Why does a church actually exist? We know that the scripture says, Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. We know that. But what does that actually mean? You know, does it mean that, uh, you know, I get married, I get a boy because I need more members in my church and now this becomes my church only. And then the more children I have, the bigger my congregation becomes. And then when they're going tough, I look at my congregation. I'm like, why are you not tithing? And my three-year-old's looking at me going, you know, here's my piggy bank. You know? um, <clears throat> why, why go to church? What's the purpose of the church? What's the function of the church? And in this scripture, I really believe this is why a church exists. For the apostles, for the prophets, for the evangelists, for the pastor and the teaching, for the equipping of the saints. And verse 12 is a highlighting verse for you. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. What does that mean? It means that when you have to cast out a demon, phone Nicholas up on 0825993925. <clears throat> no, it means you're there. It means that you've got to lay your hands on him or her, especially if it's your wife, and you've got to cast that spirit out. You've got to get that contentious spirit out. You've got to tell that devil to go in the name of Jesus and take your mom with you, right? You've got <laughs> you to gotta be able to do the deliverance yourself. <laughs> You've got to be able to do the deliverance yourself. It means that when 
when you're standing there and someone is struggling with money or someone is struggling with cold or someone is struggling without food, it means that you phone up Ilana and you say, can the community please help? No, you help. You be in that position. Now, there's nothing wrong with the community helping. Don't, go, don't get me wrong. If you've done that and you've asked the community help, we love to help. It's not about that. But you are the church. It means that nobody should phone the church office and say, I need help without getting it past you. How dare we receive a phone call for anybody that's in need and you didn't know about it? Because you, a lot of times, this is the problem that we have in the end times. The Bible says that you will lose a love for one another. And I want to ask you this question. How well do you love? Because we're talking about calling and purpose. But before we get to the calling, there is no point in having this prophetic mantle come upon you. There's no point in having an apostolic anointing come upon you. And you can't even love your neighbor. I know people that have been in the church for 40, 30, 50 years. I told you I grew up in church. And yet when this riots happened, and uh, some people were let go because they couldn't be put into prison because there was no food in prison. The very, the very things that came out of some of Christians' mouths were like, who cares if they don't have food? Put them in jail. they got to be in jail. And I'm thinking, wow, Christian, what does Jesus say? Bless your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. What did David do? He fed the prisoners that were hungry, prisoners of war. And those people, those people killed, murdered their children, their wives. They did all kinds of atrocities, and David still fed them. That's Christian. That is Christianity. The way that we think is the problem. It's not necessarily what you do. What you do follows what you think. And if you're saved for 30, 40, 50 years, and you're still stinking thinking, and you're still thinking the wrong things, and you're saying the wrong things. I want to just challenge you a little bit on that to say, how dare you sit there and want to be prophetic just because you want to be nosy or curious. And you're going to do with your prophetic anointing. The gifts are given to the body. They're given for the church as broken bread and poured out wine. A lot of times I'm broken. Let me tell you something. When I gave my life over to Christ and I, I was born in a Christian home, I was praying in tongues from the age of 11, 12 years old. And, um, when, when I became serious with God, I gave my life over to the Lord completely. I wouldn't even pray in the understanding unless God gave me the words after praying hours and tongues. And I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm not saying this to move you. But I died to everything that I wanted because I took this book and I went through this book and I said, God, you teach me and I only want what you want. I only say what you say. I only do what you do. And then my life got bad. My life was bad. <laughs> Neil knows me from the age of 12. We were 11, 12 years old that we were, we were friends. I think we're going on 21 years of being in a relationship. Happy anniversary, baby. Um, Llewellyn knows me from when we were 12 years old. It's, it's a tight relationship. We've slept in the same bed. We've held each other. We've, we've, we've walked. We've walked the road. We were, we're tight. We're prison tight. Um, <clears throat> we got into trouble together. It's, it, he knows me for a very long time. And when I started following God, my life went from being average to bad. Your life gets worse. And I, sometimes when we do the altar call at the church, I always think that we lie. It's like, this is going to be the worst. This is going to be the best decision you made in your life. You're lying. The Bible says that when you come to Christ, you must die. 
Who enjoys dying? <laughs> Who enjoys dying? You come to Christ, you got to give everything up. I had to walk away from a from a relationship because she believed something else, and she was fine. You know, she was a model. She was, you know, slippery snap. Yeah, I love my wife, baby. I love you and your mom. But and and uh, and she was fine. I walked away from a job. I was getting money. I had to walk away from a job because I was a manager in a bottle store. I was hooking kneeled up with some booze, but. You had to walk away from that to follow Jesus. Because how could I be following God and be in a bottle store? How could I be following God and be in a relationship with somebody who believes something else? My life got worse. It didn't get better. And I started struggling with things. I started getting sick. I started uh, fighting the devil. The devil came to me and visited me himself. There's nothing that affirms your faith in God like Satan coming to you and saying to you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to stop you. And I'm going to take you out. There's nothing that, that affirms your faith more that there is a God. There was no doubt in my mind that there is a God because the devil came to make sure that I had faith in him. My life got worse. It didn't get better because you give things up. To follow God is not easy. You've got to deny yourself over and over and over. And when I prayed and I said, Lord, I've been struggling with 12 years with all kinds of differences of sicknesses. I've been to more doctors. Sometimes when I start talking to a doctor, I start using their terminology. They look at me and they go like, did you study medicine? And I'm like, no, I've just been here so much. Um, and by the way, I say Merry Christmas to your kids because, you know, I contribute a lot to their presence. And um, <clears throat> the things that I have gone through and I go to God and I weep and I stand before God and I pray for people, they get healed. I don't get healed. I pray for a friend of mine, Wayne Neal, will remember Wayne, tore his ACL. I tore my ACL playing rugby, my anti ligament in your knee. I tore it. I had to go through two surgeries. I prayed for, for Wayne next weekend. He's playing rugby and he's fine. Um, I've play, prayed for people with their ears were swollen in front of everybody, prayed for them and their ears healed immediately. I've prayed for people and their kidneys have moved in my hand and they get healed and I still struggle with sickness. I can't pull myself out of a car to get to a to a youth meeting or to a, to a prayer meeting or to a cell meeting or to church because I'm so sick. And I asked the Lord through frustration, why is it that I'm struggling? Why is it that I'm sick? And God says, your body is broken because my body is broken. Nicholas, I've called you to fix my body. So to be called is not easy. It is not simply just fun. If you're going to give your life over to God, you're going to make some hard decisions. You're going to have to walk away from some business opportunities. You're going to have to walk away from some friendships. And then sometimes you have to stick at work, the job that you hate. When I started working at the company that I'm working in, because I knew that I was called into sort of what we refer to as full-time ministry, um, I knew that I was called into full-time ministry. And yet the, I, had my, I had my resignation letter typed up from, from the first year, saved on my desktop. The only thing that would change is my is my, uh, <clears throat> my date, my, my, my actual date. And uh, Leon's wife, Naledi, was actually my first HR business partner person round about there when I moved over into that organization. And so I had that typed up, and yet every single time I'm sitting there and God says to me, I want you to stay. I'm like, but Lord, do you know who I work for? Do you know that I don't like being here? Do you know that in traffic I'm sitting there crying from frustration? Get up at 5 in the morning to get to work early, go to Santon, work in Santon, come out. Uh, leave every day, seven days a week doing ministry work. And all I want to do is ministry. All I want to do is serve the Lord. And the Lord says, but I want you to stay in this job. And we're going to get into why the Lord says stay in this job. 
you are called this these offices what we refer to as offices they're not really offices the greek orthodox church refers to them as anointings are there for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry you are the body of christ you do the work of the ministry when god has called you there is no distinction between the call to salvation than the call for you to do something in the kingdom the reason why god had to get moses is because god had to find a man to do the job that he wanted to do and i want you to write this down and i want you to take note of this servants obey sons show initiative servants obey and sons show initiative moses was a servant because he wasn't under the blood of jesus christ you are a son of god and for you women you received christ you received his spirit you're also a son of god god is genderless so you might as well just deal with that issue later whether you have long beautiful hair like myself or whether you're looking fine you know like my wife but <clears throat> i pull that one back right there good save i'm gonna make it through this series so <clears throat> for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry verse 12 for the edifying of the body of christ edification means to build up till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god very important verse 13 you are there called to do the work of the ministry for the unity of our faith right so you can take your opinions no you can go stick them right and of the knowledge of the son of god in other words your faith increases you to the knowledge of who he is I don't have the corner market of everything that is doctrinal, everything that is theological. No, nobody does. How do I give the one definition who defines me? How do I give God definition who defines me? I cannot really be a theological scholar because I'm still learning him. There is a, a in the book of Isaiah, it says the angels circulate God and they're called holy, 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 holy. And one of the uh, old prophets uh, in the last hundred years. I can't remember whether it was Kenneth e. Hagen or, or one of the other guys, but he had this experience where he was in heaven. And when he was in this experience and in heaven, he saw this, the seraphim that surround God and that cry out, holy, holy, holy. And he was on his face. He couldn't look up in his vision. And he looked on the side and he asked one of the angels who was also on, this, on his face when he had this vision, this, this catching up moment. And he asked, why do the angels keep calling holy, holy every time they come around God? And the angel answered him and said, because every time they come around him, they see a new side of him. Now, if angels who've been doing that for eternity, who are you, O man, that has been, that has graced the earth for the last 30, 40, 50 years? And you can tell me, you know, the fullness of who God is. If angels for eternity have been circulating God and still see a new side of him, how many ways are there to the Father? The Bible is clear. There is one way. It's through the Son. How many ways are there to the Son? Because I can see Jesus in this kind of worship, and I can see Jesus in that kind of worship. One of my great spiritual lessons that was taught to me was from a Catholic man. I grew up in a house because our family heritage can go back to France, where we ran away from Catholic persecution because we were Protestants. So you can see my, my family, they don't like Catholics. They also don't like Dutch Reform people. They also think Dutch Reform people are not saved. So you can imagine 
what that's like when you learn great spiritual lessons from a Catholic man and you married a Dutch reform woman. But it's, it's not that bad anymore. But when you sit with a Catholic man, and I heard this story, and he taught me this great spiritual lesson, and he said this to me. He said, uh, so what happened was in their, 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 their Portuguese, and they've got a 100 first cousin because they're Portuguese, and uh, for all those poros out there, we love you. Um, <clears throat> you bring us chick, nice chicken and good spice. And so they had these farms, and in these farms, the, one of the cousins had shot his wife because she wanted to leave him. And they had a 10-year-old and a six-year-old, and they ran across the farm to the neighboring farm to say, this is what just happened. My dad just shot my mom. And uh, this Catholic man who can barely speak English, who's Portuguese that I know, who still farms at the age of 80, still out there at four o'clock in the morning, like a traditional farmer. I'm like, buy a tractor. But he does his thing. And he goes out because it's his cousin. And the cops are there. The whole family ran out there. You know, the 100 first cousins and their family. They all get to the farm. Police is there. The police leave him in with the body for a while. They pull him out. They throw him to the ground. And everybody starts spitting and saying, look at you. You left these two kids without both parents now because you're going to go to jail and the mom is dead. And this Catholic man that I know, Mr. Fernandez, and he goes, kisses him on the side of his cheek and says to him, I have already forgiven you for what you've done and I'll be here if you need me. That is the greatest spiritual lesson that you could teach any person, regardless of how well you can speak in tongues or how many demons you can cast out. To walk in forgiveness, to walk in that love. We are there for the equipping of the body to do the work of the ministry so that we may come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I saw Jesus in that very moment when I heard that story of how they forgave this cousin. At that very moment. I wonder how well we can forgive these people that have looted our businesses. I wonder how we can forgive these government officials that have torn our country apart. I wonder how well we can forgive as a church. Because when God looks back, it's not that my sin disappeared. It's that my sin is gone by the blood. And when God looks back, he remembers the forgiveness. He doesn't remember my sin. When I forgive people, I look back and I remember that I forgave them. I don't remember what they did. I know another story of another woman in the Catholic church. I know lots of Catholic stories. I love the Catholics. I've studied a little bit of that under Catholicism to widen myself and to better myself. And um, this woman, <clears throat> uh, she, she would have these supernatural visitations from Jesus. And so that made everybody uncomfortable in the church, you know, because we don't really deal with such things very well when people start talking to, talking to us about how they visit Jesus and how they have visitations from angels. And we're just like, that's cute. You know, God loves you, bless you, you keep on living. And so this priest went to, to the bishop and he said, look, I've got this problem in this, my church. This woman keeps telling me about Jesus that visits her every night. So the bishop said, that's fine. Go to her and ask her, um, what did I confess? I'm going to go to confession tonight and ask her, what did I confess tomorrow morning? priest did that, went to her, and then she went to the woman and he said, uh, did you have a visitation from Jesus last night? She said, yes, I did. She said, the bishop went into confession. What did you confess? And she said, Jesus says he doesn't remember. 
And so imagine if we could be a body of Christ that could, when we look back to say, we forgave Jacob Zuma as an example. And you ask why? I can't remember. I forgave my mom. I forgave my dad. I forgave my brother. I forgave my sister. I can't remember why I forgave them. When I look back, I just remember I forgave them. Verse 13. So we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The perfect man is the body of Christ. God's not going to come unless there is a perfect body. God's not going to come unless there is a blameless body, until there is a, 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 a pure bride for him to take. So until we get our act together, there is not going to be a rapture. Until we can come to a place where we begin to act in purity and be perfect. And a lot of people say to me, but Nicholas, I'm a man. How can I be perfect? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 to his disciples, be, walk, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And that's it. There was no promise of, don't worry, I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to hook you up. You're going to do a better job. Don't worry, I'll extend grace. When I go to the cross, my blood's going to wash out for you. So don't worry about all of that. I've got you covered. He just made the instruction. And then again, he's in Genesis, God says to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. There is a call to a higher standard. There is a call for you to increase yourself. There is a call for you to not let yourself off the hook when you're just, oh, I'm just going to use foul language because, you know, I'm just having a bad day and I'm just going to say whatever I want to say. No, Christian. No. There is a call for you to be better. There is a call for you to be a higher, to, to, to love your wife better. The Bible says that he who looks at another woman with lust in his eyes has already fornicated with her. That's a double whammy for us married men, because not only am I guilty of fornication, I'm a guilty of guilty of adultery to even have that thought that came into your mind, to even have that desire into your heart speaks volumes of what the problem is. The issue is not necessarily the sin. The issue is the fact that we wanted something that we could be tempted by, by it, and then we sinned. So the issue is really the condition of your heart. God is asking you this morning, what's the condition of your heart? When your prayer comes up to me, when, you're, when you come up to me, is it a, strength, a stench or is it a, 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 a sweet smelling aroma? Is it something that God wants or something that is not? We get, we leave, we, we, the body of Christ is there to extend grace and we're going to get into it in this series. But sometimes I think that we are so graceful to ourselves that nobody understands what I'm going through. So it's okay, I'm going to let myself off the hook if I want to get drunk tonight. But when someone else does it, we look at them and say, look at that Christian. That person's under the Jezebel spirit. Look at that person just acting all crazy. And we're so easy to give ourselves grace, but we're not easy to give others grace. And we don't put pressure on ourselves to be better. We don't put pressure on ourselves to be more. And I wonder, is God happy with the mediocrity? Is God happy with you to just flap around? I wonder. And then you're standing there and wanting to be a next prophet and you're standing there to act, uh, to, to be, want to be the next apostle. And yet you, you just continuously operate in sin. You just continuously keep doing what's wrong and you're okay with it. And I want to say this to you. There is a difference between gifting 
and character. There is a difference between having a relationship with, son and, uh, with, with the Son of God. And I'm not saying that, that everybody's perfect. No, I'm not perfect. I make plenty of mistakes. It's not that. But I don't let myself off the hook. I remember saying this to the Lord the one time I sinned, and I sin often. And I, and I sinned, and I just said, oh, you know, it's okay. There's grace, and Nicholas, stop beating yourself up. And immediately God gave me six scriptures like this. Boom, 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 boom. About fornicators, adulterers do not inherit the kingdom of God. Straight. Straight. There are people who think they are saved and yet would stand before God and say, go away from me. I don't know you. Matthew chapter number seven, for those who are making notes. There will come a day that we will say, did we not cast out demons in your name? To be casting out demon in your name means that you had the spirit of God, the anointing to do that. A house divided against itself cannot stand. You can maybe heal and give prophetic words and get away with that by using spirits. But to cast out a de demon, you cannot use another demon to cast out the spirits. Jesus dealt with that in scripture. And there will come a time where you will cast out demons. And you will say, did we not cast them out in your name? And he will say, go away from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. There is a desire for us to come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of son of God. There is a desire for us to be a perfect man. There's a desire for, the, for, for, for us to be a perfect bride. And when I say a perfect bride, I'm not saying a perfect church in the sense of a building or an organization. There is a desire for you to be perfect. The blood of God washes over you, keeps you right. Just stop there and go with me to 1 Timothy 4. I want to show you this. Let's keep your place in Ephesians 4. We're going to get there. 1 Timothy 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Just want you to underline that. And, I, and, and we're going to get into what the deceiving spirits do. They forbid to marry. Just live together. You don't have to marry. Why marry? Marry is traditional. That's happening right now in our world. Commanding to abstain from foods. Uh, those who know the Seventh-day Adventist friends of ours, they'll say that you can't eat certain foods. They're trying, to, they're trying to go back to the Levitical law. They're God to be received through thanksgiving who believe and know the truth. Now, I want you to underline seared with hot iron. I want to go back to that. When you steal for the first time, it's easy. Well, not easy, Lord. Let me reframe. When you steal for the first time, you are, you feel bad about it. But when you steal for the second time, it becomes easier. When you steal for the third time, it just becomes a sort of a natural habit. When you sin and you sin for the first time, it's something that, that you, it, it gets stuck on. You feel bad about it. And then eventually you get into this place where you're like, it's okay for us to carry on sinning. And then your conscience is seared with a hot iron. You no longer has, have a conviction about what you're doing. And I speak from also from a place of experience and I've seen it in my own life. When I am easy on myself and I don't look at myself to be better and I don't keep myself to a higher standard and I don't keep going back to what the word says about what my, my sin is saying about my sin, I lose track. And then I'm, my conscience is seared with a hot iron. And I don't feel bad about it anymore because I don't give room for convictions. And for those who want more scripture, you can read Romans 1 and 2. 
and I'm nearly done. I'm going to just hang out with me for 10 more minutes. Because some of you are asking, what has this got to do with calling and purpose? You are not going to be called. You're not going to operate in a calling or what you've been designed to do unless you deal with the small foxes that spoil the vine. You're not going to be able to, to walk with God in a way that some walk with God unless you have a better lifestyle. Some people look at me and say, Nicholas, I wish I had the relationship with God that you have. People have said that to me on numerous occasions. It's not because I'm special. They say that because they see something in me and that comes at a price. And that price is to continuously deny yourself. If, you, if you're going to continuously operate in your sin, and I'm saying this because somebody here needs to hear this. If you're going to continuously say it's okay for you to keep living in your sin, whatever your sin is, if you're going to continuously walking in it, if you're going to continuously go down that road, you will never step into what you were called to. You will never step into what you were purposed for. You will get stuck at 30-fold, but you will never get to 100-fold. God is looking for a pure bride. He's looking for a righteous people. And if you don't like that, then tough. Because we live in a world where people are so easily ensnared with sin. And where the standard just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. And we twist the word. We twist the word. There's a church in Durban where there is a, an apostle. She runs the church. And she's married to a prophetess. In other words, the woman is the apostle and her wife is the prophet. And when they pray in tongues, you can feel the spirit of God. Like you can sense there's gifting. And they've got a whole bunch of reasons to why homosexuality is fine. They break it down. They twist it. Deceiving spirits. And that's a problem. You want to be called, and I'm going, to, I'm going to close my introduction like this. You want to be called, check your life out. What's the standard that you live by? What's the things that you do? What's the sin that snares you? Everybody's got weaknesses. Everybody struggles with something. And I want to show you this illustration. <clears throat> And we're going to dig into this and, and, and we're going to develop more text. And, but this week, I just really, I got, I'm still stuck on my first page. Um, this week, we just really want to deal with your life in terms of how you present yourself to the Lord. Am, am, I, am I making sense here? Am I speaking to somebody? Am I speaking to somebody? I just want to, I want to just show you here how calling operates in somebody's life. There is no limit. And, and as we're going to get into this, you're going, to, you're going to see. You're going to stick out with me, hang out with me for this whole series. It's really going to be good. I really, I really believe that God's going to unlock things for you. But when you're called, it's very much like this cup. This is where you have Greek coffee, for those who drink Greek coffee. Um, it's a little cup like this. This is you. How calling works is God operates in, in the capacity with which you give him. But this is also a cup designed to do the same thing, also to hold coffee or tea or whatever it is that you drink, right? Here's this cup designed to do the same thing. This one can only hold so much 
This one can hold a lot more. The capacity is different. Which one do you think is called to hold greater? We think that this one was called to hold greater. But the truth was, this one was also called. The difference is this one grew. And I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you. That you can grow in your calling. And you can grow to a place where God will use you. The, 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 the spiritual principles that I wanted to touch on. When we dig into this, the spiritual principles that we want to touch on <clears throat> was this, that you, would be, that you would serve and that you would be willing. When you are serving somebody, it unlocks something inside of you. And when you are willing, it unlocks something inside of God. Because when you are willing, God is willing to do with you whatever you're willing for him to do through you. When you're serving, you're getting yourself positioned to receive an impartation so that you may operate in a grace. That was good. I'm going to half-arm myself right there. Right? <laughs> it, willingness unlocks something in God. Serving unlocks something in you. Because when you serve, you receive what the other person has. When you are willing, it unlocks something inside of God to move you. Because you were willing to go somewhere where no one else was going to go. When you serve, it, it puts you into a position to receive. And I want to close off with this story from a friend of mine. A friend of mine who, who is, is called to be a missionary. He operates as a missionary. He's based out in the United States. And uh, he made this statement to me. He said to me, Nicholas, when he went out because he believed he were to go somewhere, he said he operated and he could sense there was the anointing. He could sense there was the gifting and he could do whatever he was called to do. But the second time when he went, he actually sat down with the elders of his church and he said to the elders of his church, listen, I'm going to go. And they prayed over him and they said, we send you. And when he, when he went out, he said it was like he had he operated 10 times more in that which he did the first time. Because there is a, there is a, a, a grace, there is a gifting, if you will. There is something special, if you will, about when you are sent and there, are, there is a backing of a unity of a body. When the body gets together and the body says, yes, you can go. When the body gets together and they pray with you and they pray over you and you walk in, you walk around with so much more power because your willingness to go and your ability to serve, it unlocks in something inside of them that comes on top of you and you go out and you move with so much more grace and so much more power. And so I want to close off there this first session that didn't go the way I planned it to go, but we're going to dig into this more in terms of calling and purpose. And I want to lay down the foundation. So I just want to echo something is that God will use you and God will shape you to the ability that you allow him to, but you've got to be a vessel, be prepared to go. And it's not a popular message. People don't like to hear that I've got to get my act together. There's no excuse for you to go out and drink. There's no excuse for you to go out. When I say drink, get drunk. There's no excuse for you to go out and have a good time with your friends and you know that those friends are bad for you. There's no excuse for you. Don't, don't expect God to uh, release a calling in your life, something that is divine, something that is pure, something that is holy, and you act out like a buffoon and that you want to do things that you know is not right.
Don't, don't allow the devil to deceive you and say to you, it's okay for you to continue in your sin. It's not. It's not okay for you to continue in your sin. It'll only end up in, dest in destruction. And I want to close off with this last thing. I'm allowed to say these things. I'm allowed to, to tell you I'm going to close off 10 times. The disciples. Judas Iscariot had a problem. What was his sin? His sin was he liked to put his hand in the cookie jar. He liked to steal, right? He liked to steal. And <clears throat> Peter also sinned. He also betrayed Jesus. We know that. But what caused Judas to give Jesus up? His love for money. In other words, his sin caused him to portray Jesus to such an extent that he committed suicide. And we don't know where Jesus is. Where is he today? And what am I saying to you? Following God and you don't deal with the secret sin of your life could get you into a place where you end up betraying God and your faith for the love of money, for the love of whatever your sin is. You understand what I'm saying to you? When you begin to not deal with the secret sins of your life, it will destroy you. So I want to close off with that as we get ready to talk about calling and purpose, as we get ready to pray in this season. And this thing is not just a quick thing you to, to make a switch up, you flick a switch and all of a sudden you're called and all of a sudden you know your purpose. It's something about that we dig into. We're going to dig in together. So I want you to join me next week where we're going to talk about a little bit more, we're going to get a little bit deeper into this thing about what God has called you for in terms of how to identify when the enemy comes against you, to know when it's the enemy, to know when it's God, and to know just when it's you that is holding you back from what God has called you to and what he has purposed for you and what he's designed for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray, Father God, that you would bless every single person that made their time out, Father God, today, Father. I pray that you would meet them. I pray, Father God, that you will speak to them. Father, as we're on this journey, Lord Jesus, and we're seeking you and we're seeking what we've been designed to do, Father, Lord Jesus, and what you've called us for. Father, I pray that you would give us such a conviction, Father God, Lord Jesus, for the things which are holy, that you would give us, Father God, such a conviction and a love, Father God, for your word, to give us, Father God, a conviction to draw closer to you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, Father, we lift up KwaZulu Natal to you, Father, and we just declare peace. Father, we thank you, Father God, for leadership like the Zulu King who stood up and addressed his people and addressed all the Zulu nation, Father God and Lord Father, that he would, we would raise up more men with wisdom, more men, Father God, with clarity. We pray for our president, Sir Ramaphosa. We pray that you will meet him, Father God, touch him, speak to him. Father God, that you would operate in his life, Father Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Father, I pray that you will do what you want to do with your church. I pray, Father God, that you would make us a blameless, a spotless bride, Father, that you would bring us into perfection. It's not what we can do, Father, Lord Jesus, but it's what you can do in us. Father, it's not us that, that strives to perfection necessarily. It's just us being willing and your spirit doing all the work. Father, Lord, do a work inside of me, Father God. Do a work inside of me, Father God. Do a work inside of us, Lord Father, that we may follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Today was a heavy session.
did not plan it to go down that road. But again, like I said to you, I really struggle to follow the notes. Um, bless you. And uh, thank you for joining and thank you for making time to be here. We love you. And I can't wait to see you next week. I can't wait to, do, to, do, to get into this. And I pray that everybody that was supposed to hear this word would hear this word. And I pray that your heart would be in a place to receive. And I want you guys also, when you go away now, not to go feel bad about yourselves. This is not a beat up message. The people that were supposed to hear hurt. Uh, some people ran away when, they, when I knew that I was speaking, they dropped off the call. And uh, I just want you to see this. There are some people here who str strive for holiness. There are people here who walk the road with God. And I want to say this, no one's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes and that's okay. It's about getting up and it's about coming right and standing with God. Don't, it's not about feeling condemned. You are not condemned. You are not part of the condemned. You are part of the convicted. You're, about a, you're part of those who are convinced about what they're going to do. So no, it's not about making you feel bad. It's not about manipulating you. It's about you really evaluating yourself because I want to say this to you and I'm going to say this to you from a prophetic standpoint. I can't see all the names on the call. But there are some people that are on this call, and I'm my spirit, this is for my spirit. I just believe that this is from the Lord. There are some people that are on this call, and you're asking God to release you, to, to put you into a calling. And you're getting frustrated because God, because God says, because, because you believe that you're called for more, but you're frustrated because you haven't yet moved. And I want to say this to you. You haven't moved because God wants to address these things in your life. God will not increase you to a higher level if the things that will destroy your life are still with you. Because the minute you go into a higher realm, you'll be knocked out, if you get what I'm saying. The, the higher you go in the spiritual realm, the more is required of you to walk. Some of you are at different places in your life. I'll give you an example. David made lots of mistakes. But God never prevented him from entering into the promised land. Moses makes one mistake. God prevents him to go into the promised land. The higher you go, the more is required of you. Every devil has a devil. Everybody knows that. Every level has a devil. And I want to say this to you. Assess yourself. And sometimes God holds you back from you operating in a new level because he knows that those that guy, Judas, who still has his hand in the cookie jar, that guy that still has his hand in the cookie jar, when he goes to the next level, he's going to die. And I know people, I know of people that have died because they went to the new level and they weren't ready for it and they kept knocking on that door and they refused to change their life. I know of people, current ministers, current ministers, big ministers, that are praying and asking God to help them get them out of the mess that they got themselves into, asking for forgiveness. Regret badly because they did not, they, they, didn't, they were not, they didn't have integrity. They didn't confess. They just accepted their sin and they just dragged their sin. And what the devil does is he plants a seed. He gets you to do something. And then if you don't deal with that seed, it, it germinates. Is that the right word? It germinates when you're, when you're older spiritually and that thing kills you. So you've got to deal with the issue at hand. And right now, the Spirit of God is highlighting to people on this call 
the things that you've got to deal with right now. If that's not you, then that's okay. But you ask the Lord right now, what must I deal with? What's keeping me back? He will show you. He will show you. So I want to bless you. Thank you for joining me. I hope that you guys are going to be with me for this whole series. Uh, we'll make the recording available for those who could not join us this morning. I really got some messages to ask for, for that. Thank you so much for being with us this Sunday. God bless you for the rest of your Sunday. May there be peace in your house. May God deliver you. And may there be favor in your life in Jesus Christ's name. I will see you next Sunday. God, love, God bless you. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you.